Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Over the past few weeks, we've discussed the reality of spiritual maturity. However, if you're like me, the time we spent has been rather uh, hard. We see where we need to be, and we readily realize we're not there. And it seems really hard to get there. It seems unreachable at times. And even more as we walk through life, we face the various challenges of life and we face the various things that, that impact us and come across our faith and, and we question how to respond even to those things. But there is a path forward. There is a way between where you are and where you need to be. And so today and over the next few weeks, I'd like to lay out a path which you and I can follow in order to grow in our walk with God. Those traits of the spiritually mature person that we looked at can be true in your life. In fact, God wants them to be true in your life. And the path to that is available to everyone. There's an old children's song maybe sang it growing up, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. We, we sang that song, and I loved that song growing up, but there is a truth in this song that is so important. A primary spiritual discipline by which a believer grows in their walk with God is through the word of God. God expects every believer to spend regular time in the word of God. Second Peter 1, 3 informs us that God has given to us everything that contains or portrays life and godliness, everything we need in order to see eternal life true and to be godly, spiritually mature in our life. And we discover that all of these things have been given to us in God's word. One of the reasons many Christians flounder in their walk with God is that they practically ignore the word of God. However, when we choose to practice this spiritual discipline we'll talk about today of studying your Bible, the discipline to spend daily time in the word, God grants and even infuses into the believer the power to grow in our walk with him and overcome sin. As we look at scripture, we discover that this daily time in the word that God expects of all of us takes on three specific features. And so today is going to be a little bit more of a practical message, a little less exposition than we typically have, because we're trying to build on the last few messages. And so we want to look at these three specific features of what God expects of us daily in our time in the Word. 
The first feature that we discover in Scripture, we see clearly in two uh, specific texts, is that you and I are expected daily to read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul writes, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. Paul here tells Timothy, do your best. It's an imperative. Give, give diligence to persist in. The King James translates it as study, but it, it means more than simply just reading it. It's, it's thinking it out, have a passionate zeal for it. It says, do your best, study, be passionate to present yourself to God as one that he approves after examining and testing you. Those who are approved, tried and true, who've been tested like, like coins or, or like metal, have passed the test, are recognized as approved. The Christian, each and every Christian, needs to take great pains to present himself before God as one who is tested and genuine. Why? So that we will not have shame. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. And while we saw as we walked through Second Timothy that this text speaks specifically of the pastor, the principle applies to all Christians as well. In fact, in Colossians 3.16, we are told, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's to dwell in every believer in a rich way. And here in 2 Timothy, the believer is to be a worker who has no need for shame, specifically for shame in the quality and production of the way he handles the word of God. We do this by rightly handling God's Word. The Christian has been called to handle the word of God. And as we do so, we're to do so rightly. Word rightly, as we recall, reminding us as we looked at this text a few months ago, it means to cut a straight line, a straight furrow. Today, farmers have the uh, help of GPS to do this, but this was not always the case. You used to have to labor to make sure that that line across the, the pasture was straight, You didn't want it to look like a drunk person had done it. Needs to be straight. And so we're called to cut a straight line in the way that we handle the word of truth. Interestingly, as we saw, this word, this Greek word, is the word we get orthodox from. We want to be right, to be orthodox in the way that we handle scripture. The Christian who ignores or misrepresents or misinterprets or detracts from God's word by adding to it or taking away from it, has a reason to be ashamed. When the Christian incorrectly handles the word, whether consciously or not, he corrupts and denigrates God's truth. He actually follows the pattern of Satan. We recall Genesis 3. What was Satan's method? He came to Eve and he asked the question, Did God really say? And he quotes God's word, but wrongly. We see when Satan tempts Christ in Matthew chapter 3. 
He comes and what does he do? He quotes God's word. But just a little bit off. And the one who handles God's word incorrectly corrupts and denigrates God's truth and follows that pattern of Satan. And so we must remember that we are handling the very word of truth. And this is vital because it is how we grow. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Again, Colossians 3, we're to let the word of Christ richly dwell in us. The path to growth, the path from where you are to those marks we talked about that seem unreachable. The first step along the way is through the word of God. We must let God's word dwell in us in abundance. We have to saturate our life with God's word. Because this is the way that God sanctifies, grows us in spiritual life through the truth, which is God's word. And the first step in this process of saturating our lives with the word of God is reading it. We cannot know what God's word says if we don't read it. And I understand that many don't necessarily like to read But in order to grow in your walk with God, you must read specifically the word of God. We must read the word. And as you read the word, there are some important steps to take in order to rightly handle it and let it richly dwell in us. I want to give you five keys, and and I I did the PowerPoint a little wrong, but that's okay. It gave you the, the head start on all that. So I understand some of you have probably filled in all the blanks, but don't check out, still listen. I want to give you five practical steps here, five practical principles you need to know as you read God's word. First, it is vital that you read the word normally. Now, by this, I mean that we read the Bible as it is meant to be read. We recognize that the Bible is the word of God. But while it is the word of God, God has chosen to use normal human language guided by the rules of normal human language in order to speak to us. In other words, this book follows normal human language principles. So this means you don't have to search through the word for hidden codes that are found in the Bible. That's not the way God wrote this book. You you don't have to read it for some mystical meaning that is embedded in the text. God writes in a normal Fashion. We read it for its intended normal meaning. You hear me often say this. It cannot mean for us what it did not mean for the original writer and audience. In other words, the plain meaning of the text is the meaning of the text. You read, for instance, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. You don't have to read that verse and wonder, 
What is the hidden meaning in these words? Jesus wept. Here's what it means. Jesus wept. The normal plain meaning of the text is the meaning of the text. Now, there is sometimes figurative language in the text that is painfully obvious in which you try to determine what is the figure of that language. But the meaning of the text is what it means. We don't take it and make it mean something else because the author determines the meaning. Now, that seems like something that is normal to say. But in our day and age today, it is not. We've talked about the Supreme Court a little bit today. And often as the judges are being voted on and nominated by the president, you have two themes of thought between these types of judges. You have some that see the Constitution as a fixed document. They read it according to its original meaning. And you have others that see it as a living document. Its meaning changes. You say, what does that mean? And it's the same thing for Scripture. Some view Scripture as a fixed document, and others view it as a living document where the meaning changes. And it's all about who gets to determine what it means. The orthodox, the proper view is that it has fixed meaning, that the person that wrote it had a meaning when they wrote it, and that's what it means. Those who view it as a living document believe that meaning lies with the hearer. The hearer gets to decide what it means. But let me illustrate again. I've used this as illustration a few other ways, uh, other places, to illustrate why it is so important that the author determines the meaning. I have a dog. You've heard about my dog before. We love, we love our dog. He kept us up last night, so we're a little tired. But despite that, we love our dog. And I, I, I'm a dog person. I love dogs. And so maybe I write a letter to you, and in that letter I share with you that I love dogs. For whatever reason, that letter gets preserved. And it makes its way over to the Far East. And there, a person, say, in Vietnam, reads that letter that says, this guy, Dave, loves dogs. Now, if they read that and the reader determines meaning, how are they going to interpret what that phrase means? Well, understanding that culture, they will probably interpret that to mean that I really enjoy the taste of dogs, particularly with orange and sesame. Is that what I meant when I wrote that down? It's not. In fact, I meant the exact opposite of that. I have zero desire to eat a dog. I don't want it. It's my pet. It's part of my family. You cannot eat my dog. But this is often what we do with scripture. We take our meaning and interpret it according to what we want it to say. But we need to read the word normally. What the author said is what the author meant in his original context. Secondly, we need to read the word systematically. As normal literature, God intended the Bible to be read in a systematic way. Each verse appears in a context of a paragraph. And that paragraph appears in the context of the chapter. And the chapter appears in the context of the book. And the book appears in the context of its testament. And the testament appears in the context of the whole. In other words, you cannot divorce a verse from its context. Have you ever said something and someone took what you said out of context? 
Well, didn't you say that? That is what I said, but that's not what it meant. If you understood the context in which that was said, you understand that's not what I meant. Everything you say has a context which surrounds it. And there is an inherent danger in picking and choosing verses apart from their context. The story is of a young man who wanted to obey God with his life and give everything to him and follow God's word. But he did not understand how to read God's word. And so one day he determined, I'm going to read God's word every day. But he did not do so in a systematic way. And so the first day he picked up the word of God and he opened it to the book of Proverbs. And he found the verse, just closed his eyes and pointed. And he pointed to the verse and it said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from God. And he realized, I'm single. I want to obey God. I need a wife. And so he went out to a young lady that he knew and he proposed to her and she loved him. So she was very excited about this and they are now going to get married and he's engaged and he's excited because he's going to follow God's word. And the next morning he opens his Bible at random and he points his finger into the text and he finds in first Corinthians where Paul says, I would that all men are as I am and remain unmarried. Now what's he supposed to do? You see, the Bible is meant to be read systematically in its context. And so it is important that as you read through Scripture, you don't just pick and choose verses here and there to read, but rather that you read it in a systematic way. I'm thankful for a lot of Bible study materials that are out there, but a lot of them, this is the weakness. They take a single verse here or there and then expound on it. I would encourage you rather to find a study or just read the Bible itself in a systematic way. Read a book, start with verse one and read through it so that you can understand what is being said in the context of everything around it. Number three, you need to read the word practically. When you read the word, be practical about it. Don't expect more of yourself than is reasonable at the beginning. Read the Bible using practical methods. Sometimes people are convinced I need to do more to read the Bible. And so they determine I am going to read a book a day. That's probably not realistic. Read in a practical way. Read in a way that you can follow and understand. There are a lot of systems available to read the Bible in a way that makes it probable that you will be faithful to it. So read it practically. Number four, read it faithfully. In order to grow in the word and allow the word to dwell in us, we must read the word faithfully. We're in the middle, towards the end of January. I don't know if some of you are New Year's resolutions people, but if you are, how's it going? We've hit that point where we are starting to drop them off, those who do them. Perhaps your resolution was you were going to diet. Well, just as a diet does not work if you only follow it once a week, today is my diet day. I can't figure out why I'm not losing weight. I mean, I'm dieting once a week. I get I'm eating bonbons and Snickers every other day, but I'm dieting every Tuesday. Why am I not losing weight? And just as a workout plan does not work out if you only follow it occasionally, lifting weights once a month, why am I not adding muscle? In the same way, the study of the word will not be effective if you do not follow it faithfully. It has to be a regular pattern. Set time aside each day to read the word of God. Finally, read the word expectantly. Expect it to change you. 
Over the past several weeks, we have spent time discussing the reality that God desires to change us. And as we work to live out our salvation, God grants us the power to change. We saw that in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And so as we read the word, we read it expecting it to change us. God's word is the method by which he sanctifies us. And this book is not any other book. It is the book The very words of God. So as you read it, expect it to do a work in you. Every day, if you are going to grow, you must read your Bible. But often, we use it on Sunday. And the next Sunday rolls around and we've got to figure out where we left our Bible the last Sunday. And then we wonder, why are we struggling with sin? Why are we struggling with the things going on around us? Why are we not growing in our walk with God? You must read God's word. However, we can't stop at simply reading God's word. We see, secondly, that God expects us to memorize the word. Psalm 119, verse 11 It tells us, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As we speak about spiritual growth and maturity, we cannot avoid the issue of memorizing scripture. At the outset of this this seminal psalm regarding the importance of the power of the word of God, the psalmist notes, That memorizing God's word aids in our battle with sin. It keeps us from sin. However, first I want us to see that everyone can memorize. Everyone can do it. Often we state that we simply cannot memorize the Bible. We claim, I'm too old. My mind doesn't work that way anymore. I'm too young. I've got too many other things filling my mind. Or I'm just too busy I don't have time to do that. Or I'm just too dumb. I mean, this stuff just doesn't stick with me. We use all these different excuses. However, the reality is everyone can memorize. We all memorize things. We all do. Everyone memorizes something, things that are important to us. For some, they know the stock market and they know their finances. For others, they know their family and their birthdays and everything that's going on with them. For others, they love sports and they can give you all the facts and the figures. The reality is we can all memorize, but we need to do it. There are a couple of important steps to take in order to be effective in memorization. Let me give you four things really quickly. Number one, set realistic goals. Set a goal to memorize that you can realistically reach rather than starting with these lofty goals. Start small and reach that. So the goal may not be, I am going to memorize Psalm 119. That's really long. It's a pretty lofty goal. Maybe you can, and that would be wonderful, but perhaps it's better to start with, I'm going to memorize a verse a week or a verse a day. We can do those things. Secondly, follow a systematic method rather than just memorizing in a random way. 
Perhaps seek to memorize a chapter over a period of time or, or memorize a group of verses on a specific topic. There's, there's a great memorization program out there called Two-Edged Sword Memory Program. And it takes all the different, these different topics and systematically helps you memorize the verses on those topics. There's a lot of resources out there. But the key is to memorize systematically. It helps you remember it. Number three, set a repetitive method ways that you will go over it over and over and over and over. There's a reason God says the same things to us over and over and over and over because we need that. It takes it a few times before it sinks in. So set a repetitive method in the way that you memorize, make use of your phone, set reminders on your phone that pop up with the verse Uh, Make use of cards, perhaps. Maybe you're not an electronic person. You can carry cards around that you can read. I don't recommend this. I had a friend that used to to tape them over his speedometer in his car. He got a lot of speeding tickets, but he knew God's word. I don't necessarily recommend that, but it's a way to repetitively remember the Bible. Finally, don't give up. You're going to fail. It's going to be really hard. Don't give up. Why? Because it keeps us from sin. One reason that we fail in the battle against sin is that we don't arm ourselves with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And Psalm 119 informs us the word keeps us from sin. So God expects every Christian to memorize his word so that we would not sin against him. One way that you battle that sin in your life is arming yourself with the word of God. We're reminded again in Matthew chapter three, Satan came to Christ and he misused God's word to tempt him. But Christ's response was always, it is written. And he quoted the word of God. It keeps us from sin. Finally, God expects us not just to read God's word, not just to memorize God's word, but finally to meditate on the word of God. Turn over to Psalm chapter one, Psalm chapter one. As you're turning there, let me draw your attention to another verse, Joshua one, verse eight. There is Joshua has just taken over leading the children of Israel. Moses has led them for the last 40 years as he led them out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. And now they're getting ready to enter the promised land. Moses has passed off the scene. Joshua is now leading the children of Israel, millions of people into the promised land. And it's a bit overwhelming. And God gives him instruction. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Psalm chapter one tells us this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. These two texts, we see the challenge of meditating on God's word. And we see the reason for this meditation. And the reason is that our spiritual well-being is directly tied to meditation. We see in Joshua that we meditate in order to obey God's word and to find success in our spiritual life. Psalms states that through meditation on the word of God, we become like fruitful trees, trees along the river. We have a lot of trees here. They're everywhere. Where I grew up out west, there's not a lot of trees. In fact, if you travel out west and you drive from Michigan out to to the western United States, you have to pass through a large section where there is nothing. It's incredibly boring. And you drive and you see wheat, wheat field, wheat field, wheat field. And you get excited when you see a cornfield because it's different. But occasionally as you drive, you will see in the distance a line of trees. And you can be confident of one thing when you see that line of trees. There's a river there. Because they need that water from the river in order to grow. And God says that when we meditate on the word of God, we're like that tree by the river, soaking up the nutrients from it and producing fruits. Further, meditation, (coughs) excuse me, allows us to persevere. It says his leaf will not wither through the hot summer days as the heat beats down on that tree. It remains vibrant and alive. It doesn't wither. It perseveres because it is tapped into the water of the river in the same way in the middle of trial or the burnout. As we meditate on the word of God and his promises, we're granted the strength to carry on. If you want to have spiritual growth in your life, if you want to be a spiritually mature individual, if you want to have spiritual success, then you must meditate on the word of God. What is this method of meditation we see? Simply to think on it regularly. Think regularly on the word. When he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. When he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates. That word meditate means to muse over it, to mull it over, to try and understand its relevance to you. We think about all the cows that you have raised or been in contact with and you understand the way a cow operates begins by eating the grass or the feed that you give it it enjoys that food a few hours later that food comes to mind it thinks i loved that food that was the best grass i've ever had you know what i'm gonna have it again and it brings it back up and begins to chew the cud And then it swallows it and it goes into the next stomach and it does that over and over until it's passed through all the stomachs all day long. It thinks, oh, that was such a good breakfast. I'm going to have it again. Mm, Here it comes. It's disgusting. But that's what we're supposed to do with God's word. We mull it over. 
you read it and a few hours later you think, oh, that was such a good text that I read. And you think about it again. And a situation happens in life and you think, this is where that text applies. And you think about it again. This passage and in the parallel passage in Psalm 1, we find that it's to be a continual meditation. Day and night. It's not just a once a day thing or a once a year thing. It is a continual all day, every day, contemplating the word of God. When you finish memorizing or reading a passage, you ask yourself that question. So what? What does this mean for me? How does this affect my life? And when you answer those questions and you mull over them throughout the day, you discover and you see true life change. It's something that needs to happen all the time. You need to go beyond memorization and internalize what you memorize. You need to be like the cow chewing its cud over and over and over. But we don't do this simply to think about it. He says you meditate on it that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. We must obey the word. The point of meditating on the word is to obey the word. As we meditate and ask how this applies to our life, we do so in order that we can do what it says, what God expects of it. We ask what the text mean. We do the work to apply it to our lives and we obey it. Many times the word of God is misused because we don't take the time to meditate on it, to ask questions of it and to apply it we're like the young man who reads he who finds a wife finds a good thing great let me do that oh i would that all men are like i am instead of doing the work to discover why was that said how was it said what's the point of what's being said and applying it to our life and the key is we need to obey what we learned sometimes we will come across things that are hard Things that we don't necessarily like. Honestly, in the last couple of years, we have seen this very clearly, even in texts like Romans 13, where we are called to honor those in authority over us, not necessarily agree with them, but to honor them. And we are quick instead to badmouth, malign, criticize, mock, ridicule those in authority instead of praying for them and showing them respect because it's hard because they're not good people. But we're called to obey all that God says. God has granted to us everything that we need for life and godliness in his word. It is sufficient. Yet so often we fail to grow because we ignore the word of God. You cannot grow in your walk with God. If you ignore the spiritual discipline of feasting on the word of God, if you only eat once a week, you will die. And yet so often we think that if all we do is eat spiritually from God's word once a week, that we're doing wonderful. The truth is it needs to happen all day, every day. We need to read it, memorize it, and meditate on it. But these things don't just happen. 
They're a discipline. They take work and effort. You have to commit time to them. You have to execute a plan and make it work. And you have to persevere in that plan. However, the payoff is rich. If you feast on the word, you will grow spiritually. You'll be like a fruitful tree planted by rivers of water. You'll be successful in your obedience to God and you will see yourself begin to win the battles against sin. So how do we do this? Let me conclude with three so what's for you today. Number one, intentionally set time aside each day to spend time in God's word. Intentionally set it aside. If you're like me and you don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. You discover the end of the day when you are exhausted that you haven't done it. So intentionally set that time aside and guard it. Number two, develop a realistic plan to read, memorize, and meditate on God's word. Develop a plan and be realistic about it. Without a plan, you won't execute it. And with an unrealistic plan, you won't execute it. Be honest with what you're capable of doing. Perhaps start small and build up, but start. Develop a realistic plan. And number three, I think this is vital. Don't quit when you fail. Now notice, I didn't say don't quit if you fail. You're going to fail. So don't quit. Persevere. Continue on. Grow through the word of God. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity that you have given us through your word. That through it, we have everything that we need to know about what you expect of us and who you are. Lord, help us to take your word seriously, to value it, to read it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. So we can make a difference in this world. So we can understand what is happening around us and how we should respond. So we can honor you and make you look as good as you really are. Thank you for the privilege of being your people, of having your spirit to show your word to us. Thank you for being our God. We love you.